millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton, and Natalie Campbell. This week, we're reviewing some of the top news stories that have caught our eye, speaking to Tessa Dunlop about why we should all be having children earlier, and meeting the director of new film Love, Sonia, which tackles the sex trafficking trade across the globe. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! So, let's start with the news. Um, so, one story that really caught my attention today, ladies, it was in The Guardian, uh, and it's revealed dozens of girls have been subjected to breast ironing in the UK. And it caught my attention because I did not know what breast ironing no. was. Have you heard of it, Emma? No. No, I absolutely haven't. Nat, had you? Yes. Yeah. So apparently it's an African practice of ironing a girl's chest with a hot stone to delay breast formation. So uh, once or twice a week for however many months, they would take a hot stone and press down on young girls developing breasts in order to try and stop them developing. And apparently it's done to mitigate chances of sexual assault um, but it's not in this country it's abuse it's not legal um, and kind of police and community groups are estimating that around a thousand women women and girls in the UK have been subjected to it wow. and I was shocked there is something going on that is uh, regulated expected abuse of young women that we're not even talking about that somebody like somebody like me who is supposed to be relatively up on these things mm. was completely unaware existed well, no. I, so culturally, it's it's not something that you would know about. Yeah. Um, and I, I think if we go back through the ages, there were lots of things done to women's anatomy to change the size. So the wrapping of feet uh, in China and Japan. Yeah. Um, also, the boobs are, are, are wrapped to keep them small. And so it's a really difficult one because... I you know, I don't want to be that Western person that swoops in and says to someone, this thing that you're doing is absolutely wrong. When in this case, they've just thought, well, how do I protect my child from being abused? Actually, let me just let me keep her looking like a child for longer. How do I do that? Reduce her boobs, wrap them. And so if it's not the stones and it is wrapping, it doesn't excuse it at all. But I think before we start pointing fingers, we have to understand the narrative of why. But it's also another thing of, well, let's fix the women as opposed mm -hmm. to doing the work to um, prosecute men and change the narrative around sexual abuse of, of young girls and young girls that are obviously just about to go through puberty. We're like, well, let's 
let's harm 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 the girls and harm the women it's it's a really it's a really difficult one for me i agree i think it is really difficult and i always feel like i come down on the side of trying to be like we need to protect all cultures and everyone should be able to kind of do their own thing and know that Mm. we're all different and we do things in different ways and that's okay and yet on this one i also just feel like sometimes we can be so aware of protecting culture that we don't step in and say actually do you know what no and i understand that it is important for you i understand where it comes from but we're causing physical harm yes physical abuse and you can't uh you know you can have a an empathy and an understanding of culturally what needs to change but it's like fgm you know we Mm -hmm. can't renewed fgm for a long time because it's oh it's cultural we won't get involved in that and you know finally it's it's hitting kind of mainstream conversation and nimco ali's really been driving Mm -hmm. change there so you know i sorry but this isn't this you know this is the thing where I struggle sometimes with religion and cultures is when we are perpetuating traditions that are abusive, yep. they have to be stopped. So, but it's not a tradition per right. se. Okay. It's, it's not something that's been passed down through the ages. It's an evolution of how do I protect my daughter? I stop her going through puberty, so I'm going to iron down her breast. The bit that I, I was talking about in terms of it's always been done uh, throughout mm-hmm. history is... Um, women's bodies have been wrapped yeah. and kept small. Um, Distorted. Yeah, for some people, the concept of wrapping, so women that give birth um, in different countries in, in Africa, their stomachs are wrapped to help the um, to help the womb sort of uh, contract back. For some women, they think that, you know, that's not good. But actually in Uganda, like it's part of the practice of looking after a woman who's just had a baby. And so... You know, it's there are I so many. I know, I yeah. know, I know. I hear that, but that's like choose. That's your body, mm-hmm. whereas, and that's your body. Hopefully, as a woman, woman, as opposed to something that is being done to you against your will by someone else. I think the solution for this, these sorts of things, it's more about it coming from within the community. So yeah. I think it's a case of education, and it's education on both sides. It's not let's fix the girls. It goes back to my point around. Yeah. Actually, it's men. It's society stepping Definitely. forward. It's people protecting their daughters in a different way, not yeah. saying, well, let me just remove your breasts. Yeah. It's actually who are the men either in the family or in the community that are, that are perpetuating this behavior, mm-hmm. prosecute them, stop them. There are elders and men. So, and it's for the Absolutely. women to take the women on a journey and educate them so they're not doing it to their own daughters. That's the way that I feel we tackle it. And I think where we are with that is, you know, we think of that as the norm, but it's really not the norm. So I was talking to my mother over Christmas and this bizarre story came out about her mother and her mother's uncle. Everyone is now dead. I check in my head. Yes. Her mother's uncle, who was known in the family as an abuser of women. And, you know, and my mother was just like, oh, you know, Uncle Jack. I mean, he was probably, you know, probably did something to your grandmother, but who knows? And it hadn't sort of clicked in her head that that was that. And I was thinking, actually, I'm pretty certain this isn't, when we're talking recent, this Mm. is not Mm -hmm. even a generation. This is 10 years of understanding that if you've got somebody like that in your family, Mm -hmm. no, Mm -hmm. you don't protect them. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make that a wider conversation. Yeah, because it's it's interesting, isn't it? That instead of speaking out against that person in your community, Mm -hmm. that the, the easier choice is to 
try and hide them. Try and hide and to and to force it, inflict this pain on a on a child. And I, you know, that just shows you how difficult it must be to speak out within your community mm-hmm. because I don't think you do that if you had the choice to just speak out and accuse somebody. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a complex... Um... Let's go back to Love Sonia. I'm sure there are lots of people yeah. in the community that suddenly realised a child had disappeared mm-hmm. and didn't ask the father. You know, the mother, mothers within this, are they challenging their oh, husbands? Yeah. Absolutely. You, you know, uncles, grand, grandfathers, are they saying, you know, where's my grandchild? But then if you do that, but then you're disowned by it's, your entire exactly. community, or you're not going to do killed. it. Yeah. You're just yeah. not, are you? That's, that's the thing we forget. It's very easy for us to go, oh, no, we just have to stop it. Yeah. But actually, you know, these, these aren't easy choices. That, yeah. But they're not choices that people are making when yeah. they do this. But yeah, it does, it does have to be stopped. Yeah. That Well, that was the story that caught my attention first off. And... We'd love to hear from you if you if that was new to you did or did you know about it have have you heard of this we would love to talk to you oh three double four four double nine one thousand um the other story that I think we are all talking about and can't have failed to miss because it's everywhere and it is everywhere I don't entirely understand why it's as big a deal as everyone's talking about it sorry ladies you can inform me Facebook is merging WhatsApp and Messenger. Facebook obviously owns Facebook, which has Facebook Messenger in it. It also owns WhatsApp, which it has said all along will be a separate platform. Uh, WhatsApp encrypts everything Mm -hmm. so nobody can kind of go in and read your messages. I don't think that's entirely the case on Facebook. I don't quite understand it. Um, But it's going to merge the two. Everyone is up in arms about it. They're saying it's a competition issue. Do we care, Nat? Yes. (laughs) Brilliant. Tell me why. Well, so for me... WhatsApp as a, as a messaging platform, even though I know it's on my phone and I can put something in a WhatsApp message in and then all of a sudden Instagram starts start telling me about exactly the same thing <laughs> I put in my WhatsApp true. message. Um, I, I, because it is encrypted, I feel like it is one sort of social platform that is slightly private. I don't use Facebook Messenger for a reason. And that's because I don't want a large global company analysing my every single word. And also I find Facebook quite pushy. So now I don't use it. They send me three or four emails a day saying, this person posted this and this person posted this. And there was also a point where they were trying to make me use Messenger to send a message when I was using And I, I just find that behavior, it's like a drug pusher. Yeah. And I just wonder if, it, if it's on my phone, I've lost all control. So I would rather not use it and wait for someone else to set up a separate platform than use it, if I'm being honest. And I probably shouldn't say that. But. No, that's fine. Emma, will you can are you going to keep using WhatsApp if they merge it with Messenger? I think it depends. So I don't use Messenger. Uh, a lot of brands have been using Messenger because apparently you can use it on Edge. You know, when you get the E on your phone, which so you're not quite on the internet, but you're not. So Oh, okay. Is that what the E stands for? Yeah. So yeah. when you're like, you've got very little signal so yeah. it's like going 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 nearly yeah. gone <laughs> yeah but on so the you, edge yes on the edge is that true apparently you can use it so messenger is used quite a lot at like just festivals and stuff like that because you can communicate with people when you don't have a very good signal and brands are using it quite a lot to connect with audiences in different so you ways just switch me off even more now yeah you just said but that i think i'm with you there are uh, there are a couple of apps actually there's one app that's completely encrypted that some people are on already so i think 
this is going to be a big problem for Facebook because I think people will leave it. But I love WhatsApp. I do, like we've got loads of groups on yeah, there. Nice <laughs> I mean, although what I don't like is the social pressure about leaving the groups that people have added you to <laughs> that you don't want to be a part of and turning them down and then not interacting in groups. So then you're just like you're looking you're at what's being posted, <laughs> and then it gets to the point where you're like, well, I can't. I can't post anything now because then they'll know that I'm watching everything they're saying, but not contributing. But not just that, also the logging in. So with WhatsApp, you don't log in. It's just an app on your phone. If they yeah. make it so that you have to log into Facebook to use your WhatsApp, yeah. Yeah. and I actively have chosen not to log into Facebook, then there's also a problem there. Yeah. They're in trouble, Facebook. They're in trouble. It feels quite desperate, doesn't it? It feels yeah. like a bit of a desperate move. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Welcome to the studio, talking about motherhood and here to tell us why we should be doing it earlier rather than later, uh, the lovely Tessa Dunlop. Tessa, thank you for joining hello, us tonight. Hello, hello. Hi. Harriet. Hello. Emma, Emma and Natalie. And Natalie. <laughs> uh, so Tessa, you wrote an article this week saying that actually the most difficult thing for you was having your second child. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I, I felt uh, I had a baby. Let's just cut to the chase. When I was 33 I had unprotected sex once and got pregnant deliberately, okay, with Great. the man of my dreams. Uh, and out popped a baby nine months later. I, thought, I just have to clarify, were yeah. you kind of in a relationship married yes, with this yes, man? Yes, yes, Oh, you hadn't just found him on no, the street no, no, like that one? Okay, no, good. No. Yeah. Okay, right. Where did I find him originally? I can't remember. But anyway, so out popped the baby nine months later. I thought, God, all the fuss. Well, this is, that was, you know, that's fine. Two weeks after that, I then lose my job, right? So then I go into a sort of sea of panic and trauma and my dad dies and so on and so forth. And I think at the back of my head, well, at least I know I can have a baby. Do you know what I mean? You know, didn't really sort of notice it because everything else was kicking off. Yeah. And then I got to my late 30s and I and I realised I was pretty jolly fond of what I'd become now a mm-hmm. child. And I thought I'd just have one more because I think we are a bit overpopulated. That's just another mystery. <laughs> we'll talk about that another night. Um, and uh, so at, at the ripe old age by this time of 39, because Dan and I had been, oh, I shouldn't really use his name. He doesn't like being public. We'd had a bit, a few arguments along the way, you know, bumpity bump. Anyway, we get back on track. I'm 39. I think, well, there's loads of women now. It's all de rigueur to have a baby when you're ancient. And, you know, I thought my complexion would look quite good. Hopefully my womb would be the same. So uh, I just, so off I went, you know, you know what happens when you try for a baby. No need to point that out. And uh, lo and behold, months later, because I'm quite impatient, no baby, you know, well, not, well, no, you know, conception. That's a bit annoying, a couple of months later. And I'm beginning by this stage to get a sort of rising panic. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. something that was absolutely 100% available there, age 33, yeah. suddenly at 39, no cigar, Waverly isn't hitting the station. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, I seem to be having just this constant period. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I'm getting more and more stressed. People don't really sympathise with secondary infertility, so you're a little bit embarrassed about it as well. Right. It seems really indulgent and entitled. Although most people have two kids. Often it was people with three children who said, well, aren't you happy with one, weirdly enough? And childless yeah. people were really sympathetic. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so, uh, and then when you're told, and I'm sure that you may, this may resonate with you or may not, you can't have something as, as significant mm, yeah. um, as the ability to ner- re- conceive and uh, produce new life. My God, you want it. And it's weird. It's a sort of why, if you think of having a baby in medieval times, no nappies, no hot water, you know, there is a really, we've pushed it down a bit with modernity, but there's this primal bit of us. Ultimately, we are all animals and my inner animal, I was like the old monkey in the tree, just like <laughs> wanting a mate. You know I mean? And I just desperately wanted a baby by now. And I was quite overtaken with how badly I wanted it. It's very undignified to be desperate, but I'm just going to smack it out there. I was desperate. Okay. And I had impermissible jealousy too at the right. school gate. 
you know, all my children's friends. She was the only only child in her class by one, you know, and they all skipped home with their siblings. Obviously, they probably all wanted to kill each other. Those siblings, but you're not seeing that. You're just seeing that, you know, and I thought, my God, at 40 something to discover you're jealous. It's such not a good look. Okay, with the on uh, ever increasing. So then, and then I ended up having to do IVF and, you know, da da da. And, and uh, I, then I, lo- I had some miscarriages and an epitopic or two because all those things happen mm-hmm. much more with age. They're all a pain in the neck. I call it woman's pain, silent pain because mm-hmm. we don't really talk about yep. it. And it, they're a nightmare. And the weird thing is people say it's a choice between your career and your child. The bottom line is I'm, I never stopped working because of Mara. Mm-hmm. But... Boy, did infertility smash out my mojo. Right. I felt depressed. You know. Then I finally got properly pregnant with one fertilized egg. And um, I managed to go filming and get Listeria. So I had a dead baby. It was so dark, the whole thing. And the problem is having a dead baby is really dark. But having a dead baby and not being able to get pregnant again, because that's how you kind of get rid of the sense of physical sense of loss. Mm-hmm. So um, it was all spectacularly dark. And actually, when you get there, and by the time you get there, arguably for some, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't realize how stacked the statistics are against you. And what I would say is, you know how uh, most of us don't smoke once we get, well, to my mm-hmm. age, I'm 44 now. Yeah. Um, we uh, and but yet most of us could point to someone in the 80s or 90s, Winston mm-hmm. Churchill and beyond, who smokes. Yeah. Now we don't use that as a reason to smoke. So we don't mm-hmm. point to that guy aged 90 that I'm going to carry on smoking because he's alive. But yet we go, oh look at all those women in their 40s, they can do it. I'm just going to postpone childbirth. And th- the problem is as well, you don't see the thousands of women who do round after round of IVF and don't end up with a baby. You only see the ones who are winners. And you also don't realise that huge numbers in their 40s um, use other people's eggs. Now, that's fine, but it's maybe not what you'd expect in your 20s when you're making a decision about when you're going to have children. So that's my story. I've got a baby now, but it was seven rounds of IVF. I'm just going to pump it out Mm. there. I have no car. I don't go on holiday. I am a saddo, and I'm going to be bloody old at the school gate. My dad snuffed it. My mother-in-law's too old to fly over to help. I would just say, when you're postponing babies, who's telling you that we can have babies later? Because our biological clocks, and I have this from the top gynecologist in Britain, they haven't moved a dicky bird. Not since records began. So, so there was like a whole there whole go. load have there. And, and I, I'm 35 and right. cooing at babies. Have so. sex tonight. <laughs> okay. So first of all, if you could help me find a man, then we can figure oh, that one out. So well, I'm going to find you on Instagram. And <laughs> so there's that. But just so yeah. from so 33, you could have a child. 39, you couldn't. So 39 yeah. to when? So how long was that journey? Then five of, years. So five years of looking at other people time. with children and just and feeling that resentment. And yes, I'm going to be honest. The most and I have not met a single infertile or subfertile because I did get there in the end, but pretty damn sub. I'm telling you, it's below that line. Um, <laughs> I have not met a single one who doesn't say, my God, I can't believe it. I can't. I just don't want to go to that family reunion with all those children. Like all of us couldn't believe how agoraphobic. You see me, I'm out there. I'm social. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I had... I couldn't believe the impact, not just physically, but also emotionally, uh, the range of emotions I felt about this thing that I once had. And I felt I'd been really cavalier with the ability to give my daughter a sibling, the privilege of being able to love or hate a sibling. I felt my much younger husband, I felt I couldn't give him a... He didn't even really want one. Both of them were like, what are you fussing about? You know, it was in my head a lot. How old was he? Was he? Is he? He's eight years younger than me. Okay. So, so a lot of it was in my head. A lot of... But most stuff is in our heads, isn't it? Yeah. You know, actually, it was fine, my life, without yeah. a second child. Yeah. But tell my... You know, I had this like especially after I'd had a couple of miscarriages this kind of ache Mm. you know and everything was just geared around this kind of monthly pain and failure now just quickly on a few you're 35 the age they recommend because the things we can't we live in modern times we are the generation 
self-blame should go out the window, by the way. We are in a patriarch. It's, no, it's amazing any of yeah. us are procreating. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, but uh, if you want to freeze your eggs, you do that now. The age they recommend, no later than 33. Right. Oh, so, I don't really want to freeze okay. my eggs, though. But you, yeah, that, and there's controversy around how successful that is it's, as it's, well. You're more likely to have a baby with a frozen egg age 33 than you are going in with your own eggs over 40. See, the, the challenge is, though, Tessa, your, yes. your story, which is great that you're sharing. I think the challenge I have with your story is that you talk about decision of having kids. Yeah. And I feel like the majority of women are not in the position to decide. Natalie wants kids. She's not in a position to decide that because she's not in a relationship. So then what does she what does she do? And it's, I think it's, it's almost I, putting the fear of God in me without yeah. options of what Okay, to, well I would and, say freeze your I'm just gonna be well you've got a job, you look employable, you look like you you, you could do without do you a think summer I'm holiday. Employable? <laughs> I, I, well you're employed. I could do without a holiday. <laughs> yeah well no. Save that's the money. cost of freezing your eggs. <laughs> right. How, how, much, how much does it, how much does it cost? Right a round of IVF this is the other thing there's so much this is a good Include word. the emotional bit too. Oh, that's huge. Because I've got, I've got like five jobs. So I need oh, don't to worry. No, no, you can do all that. I meant the emotional thing. If you can't have children, it's huge. Right. Oh, okay. it'll, you'll be buoyed up. Okay. The fertility <laughs> drugs make you feel quite good. But briefly, you think you're going to give birth to the whole of a continent. I mean, you know, your ovaries are so stimulated. It's ridiculous. Um, what was I going to say? Something really Freezing profound. eggs. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it wasn't. We're talking about decisions. Decisions, decisions. So I, that is an option that, that is now available. Mm. You know, it's not foolproof. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, the, the, the two things that IVF rates have hugely improved for problems that aren't age related. Mm-hmm. OK, the two things that are age related are the number of eggs you have that decreases and it rapidly starts decreasing from the age of 35 onwards. I'm sorry, this is biology. Mm-hmm. I can't undo it. OK, the other thing are the quality of those eggs. They cannot improve the quality. So with me, an old goat, they bang, they they dragged out every time more and more drugs any egg they were just literally raking through the tragic number of eggs i had until until we hit jackpot and i stopped doing the ivf it was a frozen embryo and it it was i mean i'm just telling you it was you don't want to end up there so i would say freeze a round of eggs because it'll take the heat off finding a partner you don't want to end up with the wrong one it's like having cash in the bank you know if you put in an ISA (laughs) you know with Trump's manoeuvres and Brexit your ISA may be worth nothing tomorrow but it's nice to know you've got an ISA (laughs) I liquidated mine for IVF it's the same with eggs in that nothing's guaranteed you know I can't guarantee we'll all be alive tomorrow but but you do it's something you've it's an insurance policy it's going to cost you four grand three three grand four grand I I completely hear what you're saying but Mm. I don't actually know that women are being given a message that they can wait because I'm, now we're doing age, I'm 37. And I feel like I've had that message since about 28. I feel like I... Sorry, I I feel like I'm putting on... Oh, no, no, don't be cynical, not at all. But I feel like all the messages around me... I mean, I wrote an article when I was, I think, 32, saying that I felt like at some point I'd had to accept that I was probably heading for the point where I was now too old to have kids right. and my dad bless him sent him, sent me an email saying Aww. oh darling I thought you'd chosen your career over kids eight years ago <laughs> just as well you did it's a much better investment I was like I, I didn't realize that I had made that choice but the whole world around me had gone you're yeah. too old you're too old now no, and you're not I too was old. really getting that it's, message that's interesting because I think there's huge numbers of people you know who are who you see in their 40s lots of celebrities mm. they're never quite candid about actually how difficult it was to get pregnant I remember reading but, a great book where they were, had lots of it was a fictional book but I'm never entirely sure how fictional it was where they got very good looking people to go to an island and basically fertilize their eggs and then put them in celebrities and I was like, I'm pretty certain that is what is there happening there you are I'm yeah. sorry but, of course but, it is but, but women, they're not 
yeah. women can't win, right? Because we're told no, that, we you, you know, um, if you're going to make a decision, you can't have kids when you're older. I remember being in my 20s and I remember being even being at school mm. and the women who got pregnant early, they were really like, it was not a cool thing to get pregnant mm. in your early yeah. 20s. Yeah, your life hasn't even taken off. I now, obviously through social media, I'm connected to some of those people I went to school with yeah. who had kids aged 22, 23. Mm. They are now 42 and their kids are now at uni and they are having the time of their lives and I was like you ladies you have it nailed we have um we've been served an absolute googly I remember my mum standing on the landing in the 70s going the world's your oyster darling for god's sake don't have babies young yeah you can imagine how much I want to when actually when I couldn't have a you know I was like it's all right I didn't, if you I didn't have, mean that but if really, you have babies in your it. 20s your yeah. body is designed to have yes. that baby also you have no we're all told you don't have kids yeah. in your 20s yeah. because of your career my career was stagnant in my 20s really I was Take out I was now, going into work hungover <laughs> like I progressed no. up the career ladder <laughs> slightly but having kids in my 20s because it's in your 30s yeah. where you really have an impact on your career so I feel like we've just been sold this like but then think about who you were sleeping with in your 20s. Would you really have wanted to have kids oh, with them? Oh, that's yeah. called bringing it down, <laughs> isn't it, Harry? I mean, the sperm would have been fresher, Harry. I lost my virginity very late. Um, but just quickly, but we live in a patriarchy. Remember, we have, women have entered a work structure designed by men yes. for men. And, and that cr- is what needs challenge. So I'm coming here. I'm not really lecturing you. I was writing for the mail. There were set parameters. Okay, tell them. We know. I think we need to do far more to protect women in their the 10-year the window when I think they're best equipped emotionally and biologically to have babies, which is sort of 24 to 34. And we don't look after them. Look, no. I sat two weeks after I gave birth. Can you just yeah, add yeah. another year, like two to 35. that? 35. 36. Do you know, uh, you're going to be one cool, more. Just I'm going to come more. in here next time and <laughs> wet nurse your baby for you because you're too busy Tessa working. is sliding into your DMs later yeah. with lots of potential yeah. baby daddies. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tessa Dallin, thank them. you so can much. Tinder? Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Uh, if people want to chat to you about this and get your experience, where can they find you? Oh, you can Twitter me, actually, because I really feel yeah. women need to support each other more, mm, too. Yeah. I mean, whether you want babies or not, I'm saying you have to have a baby for god's sake there's enough on the planet but we need to support each other more tessa dunlop i think it's my handler's tessa dunlop i need to go and check that out <laughs> we'll find so it out we'll tweet her you soon know. <laughs> badass women's hour excel on talk radio she'll get you talking ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. 
Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now, our next guest has directed a movie that I watched this morning and I'm still reeling from. It was so powerful. Therese Narani, thank you so much for joining us. Director of Love, Sonia. Uh, The film is set in India and Mumbai. It tells the story of a girl... um, being sold from her village into the sex trade in Mumbai and what then happens to her and how that sex trade is not an Indian problem. It is a worldwide global problem. Mm. It is an incredibly moving film, but watching it, I was found it very dark and very affecting. Yeah. What was it like to direct that? It was, it's been a long journey for me yeah. because literally this started 14 years ago wow. uh, when I first encountered a girl who was trafficked, um, you know, a girl from, from the East who was found in L.A. Yeah. in a container. Um, who was this girl? What was she doing there? What sense does it make to have an Indian girl show up in L.A.? Yeah. Um, how does this happen? And that was my introduction to the world of global human trafficking, global sex trafficking. And uh, initially, it was research um, that kind of prompted me to talk to the NGOs, meet them, um, trying to find out, you know, how this happens. Um, and it was, it was literally was pure research. But then I got sucked into it, and the next thing you know, I was, you know, three, four years later, I was on raids in in brothels in Mumbai rescuing girls. And over a period oh of ten, twelve years, based on all the girls that we met, rescued. Um, and went through rehab with came the story yeah. of Love Sonia. So it's been it's been a long journey, um, and and a very difficult movie to make because no one wants to make a movie about mm. sex yeah. trafficking, especially then in Hindi. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, with with no names. Yeah. So I'm just happy that it's out in cinemas now. <laughs> well, it's uh, released nationwide in the UK now, but you said it's also been released previously in India. What was the response to that? So it was interesting because normally a movie like this would not get released in India at all. So I think that that was a, it was interesting that we actually were able to get a release, and mm-hmm. that's great. Uh, I fought the censor board mm-hmm. uh, so that what we see in the UK is pretty much what we saw in India. Uh, that took a year. Uh, we released in 350 screens, which is the equivalent of us releasing the way that Spider-Man does. Mm. It's massive. So um, I think that was an accomplishment, yeah. but the movie didn't do well. Uh, India, I don't think, is ready for a film like that because remember that you still have majority of the population living way below the mm. poverty line. They want to go to be entertained. What what made you do this as a as a feature film rather than say a documentary? Because as Harriet said, it is a very deep, dark yeah. but important topic. Yeah. And you know, I think most people go to the movies for entertainment. Yeah. What made you decide to do it in that in so that way? Once you've met these girls, especially once you've seen a girl who comes out the other side, and the first girl I rescued was like twelve years old, and she'd been there for four years. Wow. But once you rescue them, or once they go through rehab, and a few of them, they stand tall, and they are rock stars. You feel such shame. And after meeting so many of them and seeing what they go through, uh, I think documentaries are great for certain for certain subjects, and there've been great documentaries done on sex trafficking. But obviously, with a movie, and if you're able to populate it with a few interesting 
actors and engage people, I think the audience is wider. Mm. And so can you give us a sense of the journey that some of these girls go on and also reflecting the story? Uh, because actually the journey is... It, it, I don't want to give too much away, but she's ultimately looking for her sister Correct, and is yeah. trafficked herself and ends yeah. up in LA. Yeah. So is that generally what what happens or do a lot of girls stay within India, within brothels? Oh, within no, absolutely. Brothels? I mean, they stay... Um, we've seen the stories. We've seen UK, Moldova. Mm-hmm. We've seen Nepal, mm-hmm. Mumbai. Mm-hmm. We've seen Mexico, LA. Mm-hmm. So this was just... Does uh, you know we have obviously lots of domestic trafficking in mm-hmm. different countries? Mm-hmm. Is there global human trafficking? Absolutely, global sex trafficking, a massive market. It's just that we haven't seen it. It's okay if it happens in that India. That hurts my heart that mm-hmm. you just said global sex trafficking, a massive market. Yeah, because for some people it. it is a market. Oh, absolutely. It's just a way of making money. It's. I mean, it is. It is the most number one, most profitable black market business in the world. The ILO now estimates. $150 billion uh, in profits. Uh, but to answer your question, the whole idea was, it's okay if it happens in India, it's okay if it happens in China, but suddenly, if you bring it back to LA mm. or to mm. the UK, then That's things funny. change. Mm-hmm. And that was the point of it, to start to make people realize that it happens just under it, right under our noses. I have to be honest, the the bit in the movie that shocked me the most and it's towards you know the sort of latter third of it and there had been a lot of shocking stuff up until that point and is the bit where you see her being raped by a white man and it wasn't until that point that i had realized that i hadn't sort of seen because it's all been said ninja i hadn't seen that and i hadn't really been taking in and then suddenly it just brought it so home to me that this is not a problem that is happening on the other side of the world this is a problem that is happening in towns up and down the uk absolutely uh, and I think that that really is what we are finding, regardless of where we screen, that uh, it makes people, it starts a conversation, which is great. And you know, I'm hoping that people will go to the cinema to be engaged. And at some point after the first 10 minutes, they, you know, they invested in the sisters. But when they walk out, hopefully only one thing is on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and what can I do about it? Exactly. And, wh- and what can you do about it? Because that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, you know, okay, this is great. It's raising awareness. Yeah. Wow, there's this like phenomenal underground black market that's going on. How many girls have I passed just walking to the studio tonight that may have been that's or right. maybe being trafficked and held against their will? What can I do? What? So I think that, uh, you know, everyone can do something. Uh, there's obviously various levels. Uh, there's various ways to combat sex trafficking. Uh, education, awareness, raising the poverty level. Um, I think that whether it's helping your local NGO or the NGOs associated with the film, we had young high school students who went back to school the next day and wanted to start their own small NGO. But what's amazing is it's about awareness. You know, in Asia, let educate not only your daughters, but educate the sons. It's the boys that Mm -hmm. need education. Because oh, in the in the documentary as well, and in the trailer, you have the stat: there's 270 women That's and girls right, yeah. every day that are lost to this this system. Is it affecting uh, young boys and men in yes. the same way? So even though 98% of sex trafficking victims are women, because the numbers are so massive, it happen. We, we we forget that it happens mm. to young boys, yeah. to men, and surprisingly enough, I was reading an article yesterday that out of 2,500 calls that came in in 2016 to one of the the local UK 
uh, NGOs, 1,500 were, were male clients. Wow. Uh, and that was interesting. And this is ultimately because, as you said, it's a market. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, we need to, to educate boys. We need to um, call on the NGOs. But ultimately, banks, in the same way they can test for money laundering, they know where this money's moving. The shipping companies, someone is allowing these containers yeah. to be put on ships. And so it really is. It's this thing of does everyone know and they're just turning a blind eye because money's moving and no one wants yeah, to take this money think, out of the system. I think there's definitely an element of that. Um, but the good thing is I feel like every year there is progress. So, for mm. example, just in the past two years in L.A., uh, with now there's an LAPD sex trafficking task force. Right. And with the NGOs that I work with, I'm actually on the board of one of the NGOs that's in the movie. Um, they, over a period of one year, did employee training for every single hired employee because think about where most yeah. of the trafficking mm -hmm. is taking place mm -hmm. so now you have hotel employees you have airlines airline yeah. employees yeah. who are trained to be aware mm. and the truth is there so many of sex trafficking rinks are busted by just by us yeah. by regular people mm. uh, so i think things are changing um Yes, unfortunately, they aren't changing quick enough, mm. um, and the money is the biggest problem, and the, the prosecution of the tra of the end user mm -hmm. and the trafficker, um, because if there aren't enough prosecutions, um, this is going to continue to happen. You've got some big stars in this movie. Was it difficult to get them on board with such a such a really difficult subject? So in uh, in India, initially it was, but after they read the script. Um, and they met me and they realized that, you know, the biggest thing was, uh, which I know that everyone, I'm sure even you when you started to watch the movie, was how to not exploit the exploited mm. to make sure that you navigate that line because you can't mm. you, you can't go over it. So um, it was difficult, but we were able to get a really good cast together. Uh, Demi has her own NGO. It's Demi um, Moore? Yes, Demi yeah. Moore. Um, and her NGO that she started years ago, it, it fights uh, child pornography using uh, technology. Um, and we've been on the same forums before, so she was happy to help. Um, and uh, Mark Duplass as well. They just, you know, they wanted to help uh, uh, throw light on the on the subject. Amazing. Where do you want to go with this now? Do you want to keep making films in this area? Do you? Is this going to be? Is this the film that you make that launches your director career? I guess, or is this the film that you make that launches you as the kind of as an the act of, as an yeah. activist? I think. Where do you think it goes? <sighs> That's going to remain forever, yeah. uh, because you know I'm on the I'm on the the board of uh, of uh, Cast, which is the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking. And regardless of the movies that I do, um, I will always be involved. Um, my upcoming projects, a lot of them are are socially conscious and yeah. and female driven, and a lot of them uh, are what you wouldn't expect that I would do. Because the truth is, I'm a filmmaker, yeah. uh, but I want to make sure that. And true regardless of the story and it's authentic uh, but this is something that I will be doing hopefully for the rest of my life in terms of raising awareness and and working with the girls and helping them I'm just having a little moment because I watched the film and when I watched the film I was I'm gonna be really honest I I was really angry with men yeah I was really angry yeah. at the male abuse from the very beginning to the 
you're almost to the end of this film and and I left really feeling like because it's <laughs> what we didn't say, it's actually her father. Yeah, it's that her puts father her into the system. Yeah, yes. and Travis, I just want to say thank you for coming yeah. in oh. and like mildly restoring my faith. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's really important that it is men like you that stand up and say, mm. actually, this is not okay. This, I will go into those brothels, I will rescue those girls, and then I will tell the world about it. Mm. And that's what makes the difference and i just want to encourage more men to do that yes so i was actually going to say i think that the narrative will be picked up in a different way because you are a man yeah. directing yeah. this movie yeah. and that you you have been on a journey to do this over the last 14 years as opposed to seeing something a year ago and then making a movie about it so it i, I think it does just it gives the story a completely different form and people listen in a different way and it, it shouldn't be that, that ca the case anyone who speaks out about this should be listened to yeah. but actually i think people will take the message on board because you're a man standing oh, interesting. up interesting okay yeah. wow. so thank you so much for joining us Marani, director of love sonia it is out nationwide now it is an incredible movie i really urge you to go and see it and just learn from it it's yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant movie. One, two, three, four! This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.